0: First service is 9am to 10.30, followed by our family service from 10.30 to 12.30. And now, for the best part, let's get into the word.
1: We thank the fathers at the father and the mother of the house. We appreciate you, Pastor Guma and Apostle Joyous, for God using you to create this platform for us to be able to convene as various vessels for more walks of life in order for the Holy Spirit to find expression through us in the earth realm. I appreciate the men and women of God. Thank you, Pastor Edson, and uh, I love you guys and all the men and women of God present here. Servants of the Lord, God's children, we thank the Lord for another opportunity He has given unto us to do even better than yesterday, to increase in glory. For the Lord is taking us daily from glory to glory in Jesus' mighty precious name. That's our portion. All things are working in our favor in the name of Jesus Christ. For the greater yam lives on the inside of us. There is nothing that the devil can do. We are moving forward. We are excelling the purposes of God are coming into play in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, I take you back to uh, where we we last um where we were before. I'm talking about demystifying um demystifying the mystery, the the demystifying the mystery the significance, uh, demystifying the mystery of altars, their meaning, and their sig- spiritual significance in the name of Jesus Christ. The last time I was on here, I, I was defining, I said, I will uh, give you about 12 definitions of what I understand about um, earthly or temporal glory, and I believe I must have given you uh, nine or ten and uh, I think 10, and I was just to give you the last two, um, and then that will cause us to proceed into um, now defining um, what we mean by an altar. What a way that God has enabled us um, to start, um, I mean to transition into the new year in the season of prayer, seeking the Lord and also reinforcing our personal altars. So we thank the Lord for that in the name of Jesus. Now, I, I remember saying this, that um, and, uh, and I still emphasize, so that sh- those that are joining us may know. When we talk about um, glory, I say that glory, although glory is benevolently, so I want you to remain, uh, to remember that principle, that although glory is benevolently bestowed upon us, it must be, it must be maintained, retained, and sometimes activated. Activated, so that must be remembered as I come to the conclusion of the other two, um, um, meaning or definitions of what I understand um, the, about the earthly glory or temporal, temporal, temporal glory. Now I want to. I want us to go into the um, the eleventh. Uh, Definition of that, and I want us to take it from Second Corinthians chapter four and verse seventeen. If you're with me, Second Corinthians four and uh, um, Second Corinthians four from verse seventeen. I'm going to read from the Amplified version, and this is what it says: For our momentary light distress, this passing trouble, is producing for us is producing for us an eternal weight of glory a fullness beyond all measure, surpassing all comparisons, a transcendent splendor, and an endless blessedness. So even, um, I can't afford, but let me also read verse 18. It says, so we look not this year, this day, as we continue as our discipline. So we look not at the things which are seen, but are the things which are unseen. For the things which are visible are temporal, just brief and fleeting. But the things which are invisible are everlasting and imperishable." So here, um, my understanding and definition of glory, um, you can apply for more glory. The scripture has said, for our momentary distress, This passing trouble is producing for us an eternal weight of glory a fullness beyond all measure, surpassing all comparisons, a transcendent splendor and an endless blessedness. So when you look at that scripture, it makes you to understand that you can apply for more glory. You can move from glory to glory. It is our it is our divine right. It is our portion. Uh, as the scripture says that all things are ours in Christ. All promises are yes and and they mean to us when Christ Jesus. It is God's will for us and for you and I to move from glory to glory. That's why I'm saying for you and I we can apply for more glory. Now scripture has just said for our light affliction which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. As you are with me in the name of Jesus why don't you pray with me before even I proceed um why don't you say father as i pray in jesus name this morning Thank you for increasing the weight of my glory. In this year, even on this very day, I decree, I arise to decree and declare that the weight of the glory, the weight of my glory, the weight of my glory, meaning the glory of God upon your life, is increasing in Jesus' name. Thank you for increased glory. Now, children of God, as we continue in this year and every single day, because all things are ours, you you understand. Stand for us, who are New Testament Christians, our prayer be, is very different from an Old Testament believer because after Jesus' death and resurrection, all things have been established for us, all things are now ours. So, we are actually appropriating, we are laying hold of the things that are already ours, we are taking hold of these things. So, therefore, instead of us focusing on the things that are uh, um, uh, physical things that are temporary the distresses the these passing distresses or this passing trouble let us actually begin to look beyond them and see that there is a surpassing there is glory that is being produced therefore what should we do we must constantly become aware of the things as we encouraged in Philemon 1 6 as the bible says that that the communication or the sharing or the utterance of our faith becomes effectual by our constant acknowledgement of the things, those good things which are already ours in Christ Jesus. So glory is already ours. So it is, Um, it's upon you and I to constantly recognize that which is already yours in Christ and say, Father, regardless of whatever it is out there, because I don't, we don't even have to pay, give concentration on on what is happening, because you see over there, he says, we look, verse 18 says in, uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians 4:18 says so we look not at the things which are seen. Doesn't necessarily mean that we that faith does not ignore. Faith doesn't ignore the happenings around us, but faith looks beyond the Jordan. Doesn't ignore that there is a Jordan, that there is a Red Sea, but faith looks through looks through the Red Sea with the eyes of God and rises above it and sees glory. So our God wants us to focus on those things which are ours because that's what makes the communication of our faith effectual by us acknowledging rather than because Satan wants us to acknowledge what he's doing. He wants us to acknowledge, to see that which is physical. But for us to be able to download that which is spiritual, we have to shift and begin to see beyond these temporal distresses and begin to declare, Father, I thank you because all these things are working. All these things are working. They are producing for me an eternal weight of glory. Father, I thank you for that eternal weight of glory. Lord, I appreciate you because you're increasing your glory upon my life. Hallelujah. That has to be our focus. And as we continue to indulge and focus on those things that are ours, definitely we are going to manifest them in Jesus name. Definition number 12 and the last one for glory is that glory can be taken away or forfeited. Glory can be taken away forfeited. I want us to look at the book. You see in Daniel chapter 5, we have a king called um, Belshazzar we have a king called Belshazzar. He saw a handwriting on the wall. You know that um, scenario. He saw a handwriting on the wall when he was drinking alcohol with the vessels stolen by his father from the house of the Lord, Now, which they stole from the house of God in Jerusalem. Now, before Daniel interpreted uh, the mysterious handwriting to him, he first preached to the king in that very chapter 5 in verse 18 to 20, he preaches to him, and it would be interesting for us to read um, what he told him before he interpreted, and this is what Daniel said. Daniel goes on and says to him, O thou king, the most high God, it says, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom, and majesty, and glory, and honor, and for the majesty that he gave him, all people nations and languages trembled and feared before him whom he would uh, whom he would whom he would he slew and whom he would who, and he and whom he would he kept alive and he and whom he would he set up and whom he would he put down but when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed. And he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Those are not my words. It is the word of God. And if you, if you have your Bibles, you can just check it out for yourself in Daniel chapter 5. And you have read from verse... um. Daniel chapter 5, and if you look at 18th verse, you will see what I am talking about. So we thank the Lord for his word. I want to read it in the Amplified here. It says, "Oh King Nebuchadnezzar, most high God, uh, the most high God, Nebuchadnezzar, um, sorry, I read again, O oh King, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, um, a kingdom and greatness and glory and majesty, 19. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all the, uh, all the peoples, the nations, and the speakers of every language, trembled and feared him. Whom, whomever he wished, he killed, and, wh- um, and whomever he wished, he kept alive, and whomever he wished, he promoted, and whomever he wished, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was deposed from his royal throne, and his glory was taken away. Now you see, when they, now God's angels, stripped Nebuchadnezzar of his glory, he became a lunatic. Most of us know that scripture, I mean the, the happenings of Nebuchadnezzar. He became a lunatic. Nobody respected his words again. When the glory was lifted of him, nobody uh, respected his glory again. His orders and even his own suggestions made no sense again anymore. The same man who was respected before and honored and feared, He was dragged into the wilderness, as we know, by his own subjects, and he was eating grass like an animal, like a he-got. Why? Because the glory had been taken away. Why? Because the glory had been taken away. Now, this means glory can be taken away. In the case of, the, of this King Nebuchadnezzar, as we see in the scripture, it was God Himself that took that glory, and men responded to this immediately. When God shifted, took away the glory, men in the natural responded to this immediately. Now, when the glory is there, when the glory is there, people know the people in the nature, they know it, that the glory is there, and they respond to that glory. And when it is not there, they also respond because they notice it's not there. Now, we understand therefore that glory is a substance. And remember what I said, that glory, although benevolently bestowed upon us by God, must be maintained must be retained and sometimes activated by ourselves. It must be activated in accordance to the word of God, in accordance to our way of living. Now, we understand therefore that glory is substance, as I have said. So in most cases, however, it is wicked. It is wicked human beings that take away people's glory wicked human beings in certain cases it may not be God but wicked human beings come and 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 mess up with people's glory now this as we as we continue in this new year i pray for you in the name of jesus christ and i decree and i declare that no power or personality will tamper with your glory in the name of Jesus. We saw the other time that even the glory of the nations can be taken away and a nation becomes a a ridicule, a disgrace amongst amongst other nations in the world because the glory of the Lord has been lifted of the nation. So it becomes a um, a laughing stock. Are you hearing me? So no power I pray for you and I that no power in the mighty name of Jesus will tamper with your glory. And as we as children of God and heaven's legislators on earth and the priests in the house of God, we decree and declare that no power shall tamper with the glory of our nations. That's why we as heaven's law enforcement agents on earth, we must stand and stand in the door and stand on the altar and begin to decree and declare over our nations and declare that no power shall tamper with the glory of my nation in Jesus name. No power shall tamper with the glory of my ministry in Jesus name. You have seen there have been ministries that have been previously wonderfully. Amen. I Um, um, benefiting many people but all over along the way that ministry hits a plateau it gets to a place and it's no longer it, it, it seems as if it's no longer existing but why what happened what do you think happened so glory is the driving force behind a man's success in life so therefore just as we we use physical fuel or currency to drive every economy Guess what? The glory of a man is what thrives and drives his destiny. That's why we saw in um, the other time, I think it was definition number 10 or number 9 rather, or 10, we saw the Bible talking to us in Psalms chapter 8. God talking about bestowing glory upon us, and then, and we said that the, the, bestow, the bestowment of glory upon an individual is what precedes dominion. God did not give them dominion before he bestowed glory upon them. Praise the name of the Lord. It says, what is man that you're so mindful of him, that you've made him a little lower than God, and crowned him with glory, and owner and power, and then given him dominion. You can't exercise dominion without the glory of God. Now, moving forward, without the glory of God, you will be a non-achiever. That is why you must jealously guard your glory. However, you cannot activate. Your glory in fullness unless you understand the concept of altars. I repeat, you can't activate your glory in fullness unless you understand unless you understand the concept of altars. God's glory is incubated into a man from birth. We looked at that um, when, we, when we looked at the um, the tabernacle. If you remember, I spoke that in the passing, and I spoke about the, pattern, uh, the the tabernacle. And I say that the glory of God for the New Testament, that Shekinah glory of God, has now been through Christ Jesus, that has become your portion, and it has been instilled in you, bestowed upon you in Christ. But this but as we saw that although glory has been benevolently bestowed upon you, it must be retained and maintained. You must maintain. For us now, it's important when we find ourselves on prayer altars, we are not praying that God will do what, that God will bless us because we're already blessed. What are we doing? We are maintaining, we are reinforcing, we are activating. It's like going on a prayer mountain to pray. I always use this example. You're not going there to get power. You are not getting more power. There is no more power, more than Christ in you, more than the Holy Ghost in you, more than the Word in you. You are activating. You are activating. Now, God's glory, as I've said, is, incubate, is incubated into a man, into the man from birth, but it is generally sustained. It is generally sustained and at times generated at the prayer altar, and that's very important for us to note. Now, let us get into the understanding of altars, because there's a lot of people that have dismissed these things and say those are, those are, that, those are, that's an irrelevant um, aspect or, or issue or principle that, that no longer applies to us. but I believe most people say this because they don't understand or they haven't given adequate attention to the subject. Now in every religion you find altars commonly commonly used and I always told you where I came from. I come from Islam. But also from Islam, where I come from, I have observed and I have seen how these people make use of the altars themselves. Now, the devil has, in his way of doing, as we know, is a counterfeit, copycat, he has mastered it. He has mastered the things. His people use these altars. They use this aspect, this principle of altars to, aff- to effect their diabolical deeds in the lives of men, even ministries themselves and um, why do i say that altars in every religion that you, you you see you will get to understand how the devil manipulates and uses these altars in various religions and occults and uh, and these people you can see take for instance I will go back to where I came from, you look at the Muslims, they understand the principle of act constantly servicing or activating their personal altars. Whether there are many customers that have come into their shop, if it is time for prayer, they will shut that shop, they will, they will, they will shut it down and say, guess what, I'm locking up, I'm, it's time for prayer. Um, <laughs> there was a plumber um. Was he a plumber? Yeah, there was a plumber that came to fix um, last year. There's a plumber that came to fix our our kitchen and um, kitchen tap and um, and the bathroom because it was making some noise. Now this guy had, pardon me, he had the audacity after um, doing whatever he was doing. Now his prayer finds him. The hour of prayer finds him in in our kitchen him fixing the, um, the, um, uh, the, the taps. And as I was sitting in the living room, they are listening to my worship. Before I knew, when I turned on, on the left like this to look, guess what the guy is doing? The guy is busy praying in my kitchen. And I started laughing. I said, this guy is a joker. He, has, he, he is messing himself up because this is an environment dedicated to Jehovah Elohim. So as he's doing whatever he's messing up with, he's joking, he's just, he's just, but, but that goes to show you, even I used to interview them at a place of work, they come for, to seek for a job, to apply for a job, here you've seen some of you who are um, in human resource, or, um, or even though not in human resource, but where you work, you've seen them come to apply for a job, and guess what happens, when it comes to that hour of prayer, whether they are in your bed, boardroom or in the interview room, guess what? These guys will ask you, "Can you give me a room? I want to pray." And you cannot discriminate them, and you can't because you—they they will take you up. So, and they go to another room, and they know it's an hour of prayer, and they begin to pray to their God. Yet, as Christians, we're. <laughs> We are very apologetic when it comes to our faith and exercising of our faith. And probably sometimes we don't have an understanding of the things. They will for them they will cause if it is time to activate that altar, they will go and do that. If they are going to pray, it is prayer. And guess what? And normally, as I said before, look around us. Even here, when you look in Uganda, when you look in Kenya, you go to Kenya all lee, almost every business all over Kenya is being taken over by Muslims. When you come here in England, look at all the shops within Greenwich. Look at the shops. Look at the shops. Go in, uh, go in East London and see almost every shop, everywhere, there are the ones moving ahead. Why? And they understand that before you establish a business, it is preceded by the altar. They will invite that imam, they will slaughter their things to dedicate those places to their Allah. And they will take time to fast before they establish a business. You only think they fast the month of Ramadan. They do all these things. They can use evil altars to influence and affect men and women who are the real custodians of the real altar. I told people whenever we used to fast in, in Islam, every night we would activate and use the moon. That's why you see the symbol of Islam, the star and the moon. We will tap into the power of the elements. That is the sun, the moon, and the, star, and the stars, and in the night. And then as we used to fast, if we come to have our communion, It's like Holy Communion in the night. And we begin before you start the new day. Every day that you fast, you have to intentionally make decrease before you enter that new day in your fasting. After having, sitting as a family in the circle, And all of you eat that which they call daku. And you begin to declare, -um And they begin to chant and chant and speak and tap into the elements. Remember, Muslims never start fasting before the moon appears. And they can never break the fast until the moon appears. They engage in that season the powers of the moon, the sun, and the stars, and that 's how they use those prayers to pray and take over, cast the business of businesses of the infidels while they bless their own to prosper now in this teaching, <laughs> we shall look at um, the Christian altar from the pers- from the perspective of evil altars or general altars so that we may be able to have the perfect understanding so that you may know even how to apply yourself. Now, this is an an upgraded level of teaching on prayer when we get to talk about altars. Now, in this present world, I want you to understand something, that prayer is more than kneeling. Child of God, in this present world we are in I want you to understand that prayer is more than kneeling down and having your regular quiet time. it's more than that so therefore I want you to go with me as we uh, um, word for word as you pay attention to this teaching. we're going to look at a scripture in um. It's going to be a long one, Second, in First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 18 to 30. And if you have time also, you may be able to read it um, in your free time. But let me make these remarks in my notes before I go any further. Now you need to understand something, that sometimes the battle of life is a matter of the altar versus altar. It is the stronger altar that overturns the weak altar. Therefore, as I continue to teach, I want you to um. We will be able to examine the altar. We'll be able to examine the altar, the sacrifice, and the blessing. Alternatively, if you like, you may call it the altar, the fire, and the glory. The altar, the fire, and the glory. Now, the hills of the Lord. Let us start with biblically the hills of the Lord. Now, somehow. If you're a good Bible student, you will notice that um, deities and gods love to live and appear on mountains to operate. Only a few of them dwell in the valleys, in plains. Only a few of them dwell in the valleys and the plains. Now, often they operate on mountains. Probably they got this from God himself. If you study, you go to places. Um, I know I went into the hills as far as the hills of, um, you know, the Neverland. Nav- when you read that word, it reads Navajo, but the Neverland in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, in the mountains of the Native Indians. I was there ministering in 2017, and I went in those hills. Now, that's when you will notice in those mountains and the hills how deep these people, the Native Americans have been really deeply rooted in witchcraft. I used to hear about, um, uh, we used to hear in, our, in Uganda growing up, a night dancer, says these night runners. Actually, in Phoenix, Arizona, they call them skinnies. The skinnies, the people that, uh, that demonic thing comes upon them in the night and they run uh, naked. You know, there's, some of them eat human beings, things like that. The cannibals, or with and the demonic powers. So, I remember I was holding a revival, um, revival in the tent meetings, um, revi- tent revival meetings in the night, and um, then all of a sudden, as we were praying in the night, the power of God was hitting so strong in those in that area and uh, even from little children, demons were manifesting everywhere. Miracles were taking place. Now they thought they can come and interrupt the meeting. They tried to run in that area and the power of God hit them in as they were trying to run around. Now I was looking at the congregation and people the tent shouting and going around others and I was, of course it's a huge tent almost like it's a tent of about like a thousand people now i didn't understand what's going on and i had skinny skinnies and i was like what is?" and they say Oh, the skinnies were trying to pass by and the power of god has hit them so i'm trying to tell you that there are some deities and gods that love to live and appear on mountains nearly you look at what happened in rwanda rwanda the seven the seven hills of rwanda where they used to sacrifice when people when Rwanda left her positioning in God, when God had given her the the mandate to carry the revival, most of us in East Africa have celebrated and and uh, have celebrated and enjoyed the revival but where who are the people that God used to pioneer the East African revival? It came from Rwanda. And Rwanda had that national call to take the power and the presence of God around the world. But now people unto whom the assignment was assigned later, when the land was prospering under God, people deviated and left off. And what happened? (laughs) Eventually... Uh, people turned into, backed into worshipping, other things, and then more sacrifices took place, the intercessors left their position, people became, they were prospering in business, they left off, and uh, the sacrifices continued in the seven hills of Rwanda. And what happened later was the judgment upon the nation, the genocide that happened. Now, you can see, but trying to show you, look at all the mountains and the hills around Kampala look around Uganda, look around the Buganda region and all other places. You could see that on every mountain, you could understand the places where they sacrifice, some of those places in the valleys and the plains where they make their sacrifices. I don't want to dwell so much on that, but um, but that has a biblical foundation in itself. When God Almighty um, made an appearance to Moses, it was on Mount Horeb, when God wanted to make the first public appearance to Israel, it was on Mount Horeb. Now, when he wanted Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac to him, what did he tell him? It was on Mount Moriah. When Elijah confronted the prophets of Baal to demonstrate the power of the Almighty God over the false gods, that Israel was now worshipping, it was on Mount Carmel. Jesus too had an an unusual habit of raising prayer altars on Mount Olives and other mountains unnamed. Now, when the temple was built, it was built on Mount Zion, a hilly place. Solomon built that temple altar on an ancient uh, defunct altar we remember um, Abraham. Abraham was to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah. Now when Jacob was fleeing from Canaan to pardon Aram to escape, what happened? The vengeance of his, uh, when he was running away from the vengeance of his brother Esau, he stumbled on an ancient altar of his grandfather Abraham. He discovered that there was an open heaven there. He saw that there were angels ascending, going up and down heaven there that very day, because someone had already built an altar there several years back. So there was an open heaven. Now he saw that that place when what what Jacob did is he saw that he saw the place as as the gateway of heaven, when we see in his remarks, as he begins to remark, oh, ha, this was the gate of heaven, and I didn't even know. So he saw the place as the gate of heaven, the entry point to heaven on earth. Now, when David conducted, we're looking at these historical facts as we build on to define more of the altar. Now, when David uh, conducted a census. Uh, against the will of God, breaking, the, breaking several laws of God. God punished the nation with the plagues that determined the population of Israel. God saw an angel. I mean, David saw an angel. You remember the Harun issue. David saw an angel who was ready to destroy Jerusalem. What happened? In order to pacify God and stem this destruction of the people of God, what did he do? David was instructed to raise an altar at the threshing floor of Aruna. And that is 1 Chronicles chapter 20, the one I've given you. 1 Chronicles, let's open our Bibles and read it. Um, It may be long, but let us read it. Let's go into our Bibles. Now, the angel of the Lord commanded the angel of the Lord commanded God to say to David that David should go up and set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Onan the Jebusite. And David went up, and at the saying of God, which he sp- which he spake in the name of the Lord. And Onan turned back and saw the angel and his four sons with him and um, with him hid themselves. Now Onan was threshing wheat and as David came to Onan, Onan looked and saw David and went out of the threshing floor and bowed himself to David with his face. Uh, to the ground. Then David said to Onan, "Grant me the place of your threshing floor, that I may build an altar there, therein unto the Lord. Thou shalt grant it; uh, shall grant me for the full price, uh, that the plague may be stayed away from the people." And Onan said unto David, "Take it to thee, and let my lord the king do that which is good in his eyes." law. I give you the oxen also for burnt offerings, and the threshing instruments for wood, and the wheat for the meat offering. I give it all. And King David said to Onan, No, but I will verily buy it for the full price, for I will not take that which is yours for the Lord. No offer burnt offerings without cost. So, God, so David gave, Onan, gave to Onan for the place for the place six hundred shekels of gold by weight, and built there an altar unto the Lord, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and called upon the, upon the Lord. And he answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar of burnt offering. And the Lord commanded the angel, and he put up his sword again and into the sheath, thereof, or to withdraw, to relent. At that time when David saw that the Lord had answered him in the threshing floor of Onan the Jebusite, then he sacrificed there. For the tabernacle of the Lord which Moses made in the wilderness the and the altar of the burnt offering were at the season in the high place of Gibeon. But David could not go before it to inquire of God for he was afraid because of the sword of the angel of the Lord now that is first chronicles 21 18 to 30 I want also to point you to uh, first chronicles 22 and verse 1 and 2 first chronicles chapter 22 and verse 1 to 2 this is how it reads, it says, then David says, this is the house of the Lord God, the, and this is the altar of the burnt offerings, of the, the, of the burnt offering for Israel, and David commanded to gather together the strangers that were in the land of Israel, and he sent masons to hew out to hew, wrote stones to build the house of the Lord. Guess what? That was the exact location where Isaac was to be sacrificed. The same place that David gathers strangers there in the land of Israel and he sent Masons to hew, to Hugh. Route, to, to hew out stones to build a house of God, as we have seen in 1 Chronicles 22, 1 and 2. This was the exact location. As you study the Bible, you will note that this is the exact location where Isaac was to be sacrificed. Now, when the altar was built, the wrath of God ceased, and Israel experienced forgiveness and peace. Now, then David, resolved that he must build a permanent altar in that place in form of a temple. So when you see temples, when you see temples, mosques, people even look at our churches where we have decided to say this is where we gather. In essence, we are saying this because remember what I told you, there are stationary altars and mobile altars. We also, we said, if you remember, that your prayer life is your living prayer altar. There are physical stationary altars and spiritual um, mobile invisible altars like the throne of God for us as we maintain our daily prayer. The throne of God, the throne of grace is, is an altar where we assemble. We assemble. It's not a physical place. Now, it's important, and I told you, Um, Now look, your house or the temple is a corporate altar where um, the the church where we meet is our corporate altar, the place which is designated and dedicated to God where all of us come and meet as mobile altars. Now it becomes like, as you know, in the American system, there's what they they call the small socket courts, you know, the small socket or socket courts, the way they pronounce it now you would note that these courts do not create legislation, but if they sentence you, if they sentence you, if they convict you, you are convicted, but there is the Supreme Court that creates legislation. Now you could see that whatever they are reinforcing, whatever they tell you is in accordance with the law of the Supreme Court, and actually when they say you are convicted, Even the Supreme Court agrees. So now even us as mobile heavens legislators on earth, whatever we forbid, whatever we allow on earth, Oh, heaven will forbid what we disallow, heaven will disallow it. what we permit, heaven permits here on earth. But also moving further, and I told you that look at Muslims when they go to slaughter animals, they will face that animal east of the Qibla, the altar in Mecca. Every mosque is built connecting to that evil place. Not to say that that is God, is not God, that's a Saudi Arabian demon that is bloody, that loves blood, is not God of heaven, because it's not Trinity God. So, therefore, Allah is not God. But that being said, moving forward, you need to understand that when David, David having noticed, when the hand of the Lord came and um, and removed, when the wrath of God was removed after David had obeyed and done that, David chose to now to build a permanent altar in that place in the form of a temple. That became a transgenerational altar. It became a transgenerational altar. That was the place actually where Solomon built that great temple himself. Now, a prayer place, a prayer place is different. Now pay attention because now we are starting. A prayer place is different from an altar. Altars are deliberately raised with understanding of the issues involved. I'm glad you're listening. I said a prayer place is different, is different from an altar. Why? Because altars are raised deliberately. They are deliberately raised with understanding of issues involved. Let me, before I go any further, let us look at some of the requirements for raising God an altar. Now, number one, it has to be a particular place or location. When you want to start ministry, you don't just go start anywhere, you seek God's guidance, God's leading. Now, besides that, that is an aspect of ministry, but the requirements for raising God an altar, a particular place or location, number two, are consecrated. That place, the next requirement, having found a place or a location, it must must be consecrated with a token, either anointing oil, Or communion, or communion wine. Number three, invitation of a supervising. The if it was the um, if it was the demonic world, a supervising spirit. But for us, as the children of God, invitation of a supervising spirit. We mean the Holy Spirit. You invite the Holy Spirit. We have done businesses as you you dedicate your business to the Lord. Who do you who are you inviting as you start or launch out ministry? You know what do we do? You call on your spiritual um, fathers or mentors, and you go and to dedicate a place, or you call on your brothers and sisters in the Lord, and you go to dedicate that place to the Lord. Now, number, what are you, when you are dedicating, who are you inviting? You are inviting the Holy Spirit. Note that the Holy Spirit is not existing. You are honoring Him. You are involving Him. You are saying, you know, you are the CEO of this thing. I'm only a caretaker here. Number, is it number four? Number four, yeah. Now, Another requirement is the mission or the assignment of the altar. You don't just raise it without a mission or the assignment of the altar. Now, the Latin word for altar is um, altare. The word altare, that word altare is A-L-T-A-R-E, altare, meaning an elevated place where sacrifices are offered to deities. Similarly, when you go to the Hebrew um, word for altars is misbeh, misbeh or Bama, and that word means high places and occurs, that word or Bama, um, which means altar, occurs 228 times in the Bible, 228 times the word altar appears in the Bible, 24 of those in the New Testament. 24 times of the 228 it is in the new testament now an altar therefore is a surface or structure upon which is a surface or a structure upon which a religious sacrifice is offered the hebrew word misbear means a place of sacrifice now both the heathen and the pagans or the pagan nations and the Israelites, both the heathen and the pagan nations and the Israelites built altars as is shown by archaeological excavations. In both cases, what do we see? In both cases, they were primarily used, these altars were used for sacrifices on the side of Israel and also the pagan nations that it um, existed around them. Now, many altars are found in the modern world of today. The earliest, I had an opportunity, I went to the British Museum, the London Museum here. If you have time to go to the <laughs> London Museum, you will see that the, the successes of uh, the wealth of, you know, these people have attendance, you see, you could see where the deviation even came from. They, they are those to the extent when they raise an altar to Jehovah God and to promote the gospel, but the deviation, when you look at the medieval age and how they had raised, how they raised altars for every battle, I was in London Museum, I was recording, I was taking pictures, I was so shocked, and that's why when these people say, I don't believe in God, but I believe in higher power, they know what they are talking about, you I saw there's a place dedicated to almost like about 200, 200 to to 50 to 200 different altars in the London Museum. And even they put the names of the gods. They show you this is the god that does this, the the, the, the altar to the god of war, to the god of prosperity, to the god of fertility. When you're dealing with this, this one is the, the altar for casting the spells in the London Museum. (laughs) So many altars are found in the modern world today, the earliest and most reliable evidence of an altar dating from about 2000 BC is a horned limestone structure excavated at the ancient Palestinian city Megiddo. Altars, they vary in size of course, and I remember looking at some of these altars in the London Museum. Some of them were small, like a small, a, like a, a, a small. Some of them were like you see, like um, um. Let me show you. I'm looking for something here to show you. There were as small as like um a shell. You know, there's the shell, um, the shell of a of of a snail. And I was like, this one is also an altar. And this one, some of them were like small heads of uh, small things that captured and said that was an altar. And this, and they tell you every, every one of those altars in that London museum, you go see for yourself, you, there's an inscription written talking about who that, what does, what that altar means, what it was being used for who are the people how the so how the armies how the great warriors how so and so and the leaders used to go there how the business people that now built businesses here in london used to use those altars and how people used to go in there and lock themselves up a certain class of people until and even till still today they still do it in some places where people put on nice suits and go and get dressed nicely to go and activate their altars right here in central london so people are not as ignorant as you think about the spirituality as you may think as they may portray that they are naive they are not naive at all so moving forward from that saying that um, altars vary in shape and size and construction now places Bless, of offering or sacrifice may take form or may take the form of a mound of earth a heap of stones and when you go into um, the london museum you will see some of the the heap of stones one large slab of stone some of those were woods metal some of those are small metals i looked at some metals that look like even coins And those were altars of people. Others were spears with certain things on top of a spear. Um, Others were trenches that were dug into the ground, like um, like the Vedi, um, the Vedi, um, the Alt of Ancient India. You know that's a Vedi is an Alt of Ancient India. So it's a trench, and you could see all various people that came to various different people from all walks of life brought in various altars into this nation. So when you see the church, um, the church in this country being affected with, uh, that's why if we are to experience God in this country, we have to increase the volume of prayer. There has to be praying churches all over in us for us to what? To pierce the heavens and be able to to experience a move of God that we've never experienced before. I remember in 2006 showing um, the congregation a movie, uh, a documentary rather. Um, I don't know if I will be able to trace it again. Um, I may pass it on to Pastor Guma, but that documentary, I will try to look for it if it is on YouTube, I don't know. But that documentary was a gathering of um, uh, English... I don't know if it's British. I should say because of a mixture of everybody, they had gathered to celebrate um, um, in two thousand and yeah, two thousand and six. Yes, two thousand and six. They had gathered to celebrate uh, to celebrate a breakthrough, spiritual breakthrough that they had received. I didn't say Christians. I said witches, wizards, warlocks had gathered, and the reason of that um, of that celebration was to celebrate. the finally, after a hundred years, they was they were saying in that video. Oh, you see the witches, the wizards, the sorcerers, women and men, and they were in huge gardens. The gathering of that, um, and they were celebrating. That finally, after a hundred years in England, they have received a breakthrough, a spiritual breakthrough over Christian churches. (laughs) That shocked me, over Christian churches. And they began to narrate and talk how they have affected our prayer lives, how the churches have been affected from growing, how they they have been able to finally now take authority over the land after 100 years. Now, you that made me think these people are very intentional. These people are very intentional and missional. So that has been their focus. And worse for us, when you look at certain believers, when they come to church, they just come to, ah, I've just come to fellowship. I've just come to fellowship. The only fellowship and all the... When they go there, it's about what I will get from church or just what I will get from church, what I need. But they don't look beyond with a kingdom mindset to say, hey, we are ambassadors of the kingdom of light there is a kingdom of darkness. Our kingdom of light is superior, greater than that kingdom, but we must be missional. We must be intentional. We are supposed to take the kingdoms of this world must become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. And it, how is it going to happen? Through us. You see these people constantly plan for us. They constantly do, the, they are intentionally seeking for, for, for our spiritual darkness. They want to bring us in an in, in an era whereby God is not God. I was shocked listening to kids on TV during the Christmas season, what Christmas means, what some of you saw them, uh, what they were saying, what Christmas means. I said, what? They have no clue about what Christmas is all about. And it's on national television. They were asking kids. It was a program on BBC during this Christmas season. But nonetheless, Um, God has enabled us to tackle these um, teachings, I believe, to empower us to move forward and to be able to reinforce our prayer lives and to be intentional that this is an hour and a a, a dispensation for us to take over. And the glory of God is going to be released upon this city, this nation, like never before, because we're going to be intentional. Intentional and mission in what we are doing. Now finally for today, the altar has also been described as the deep religious and symbolic significance. It has, it has been considered also, altars have been considered as a holy and revered objects or a place hallowed by the divine presence where contact and communication with deities and other spirits could be achieved. My great-grandmother, the twin sister to Mtajaz of Chibuli, the late, she had a tree, and this tree was an altar. And whenever she would come out in the middle, she was religiously, consistently, every single night, midnight, without failure. She would stand in that tree, and they begin to talk. She goes on that altar of her tree and talk. And as she begins to talk, the tree's responding to her with releasing fragrancy. That everybody in that area, you would begin to smell the fragrance. You ask yourself, how can a tree in the middle of that release fragrance that all the neighboring houses, maybe in even 100 meters, you, hear, you are smelling that fragrance. And then when you, 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 you move your curtain, you see that Dada is standing talking to a tree. And oh it's Dada. She's there talking. She's doing doing her stuff. And in 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 Kenya, as um as I close, in Kenya, there's a, a tree called Mogumo, Mogumo tree for the Kikuyu tribe. A Mogumo tree, they always bring offerings to that tree, even in the day or in the night, openly. They bring offerings, they bring goats, they bring others come with cooked food to the mugumo tree and they sit down there and talk and talk and do their stuff. Now, a certain pastor arose, several pastors actually have been affected uh, because ignorantly they went um, out of zeal and not a, not a, not out of knowledge to know how to deal with the things. A pastor gets up, no. N- I'm going to cut this tree down in the mighty name of Jesus. The pastor rose, went in the mighty name of Jesus, but he's exercising ignorance. I'm not saying there is no power in the name of Jesus. Ignorance, zeal without knowledge. And then he went and he he got the machine and started to cut the tree. Guess what happens? As the pastor is cutting that tree, when he cut the tree, the tree, ask any Kenyan, they will tell you this or go find out, Google. you find the stories, or you know people in Kenya, ask them, you discover. That pastor is cutting the tree. The tree instead of the tree was crying blood, and his family, where he, at home, the house, it, the house just got hit by a, a tree around, and it fell, and it killed all his family. Another pastor just went mad, and after that, he died when he was trying to cut a mugomo tree. Why? They were born again. They were cutting the tree, praying in tongues, and why? But they did know. They did this out of zeal and uh, out of zeal and ignorance, and they affected their lives. They affected others. It's ministry that vanished. Pew, because we will see what it talks about when we talk about altars, sacrifice, answers to sacrifice. Altars answer to altars, so people don't understand these mysteries, and they just and they just go and out of zeal and do things, and they affect themselves. So, as I close with these two, um, the um explanations of a, of an altar. Said so, what are, what altars for? I was talking about um um the meanings of an altar. And I was saying, and altars uh, altars are so sacred. Uh, so sacred was its power often protected by taboos, most of um, these altars. So here, I was talking to you about the requirements of raising an altar, but in closing, I'm saying um the altars themselves um, are places where contact and communication with deities and other spirits could be achieved. That is on the demonic world, but for us it's different. Of course, I expect you to understand that. So sacred was its power, often protected by taboos, we're talking about altars, that it served at times as an asylum for those seeking refuge. That very place in India, the ones I told you about. Now, very often, the form and the positioning of an altar reflects its function. A raised altar was used for sacrifice, for sacrifices to the celestial deities of these uh, these people on the other side, like of Mount Olympus. For example, the pits or the trenches, I've told you, the one of Vedi in India served as receptacles for offerings to gods of the earth and the underworld. So these people are not ignorant about what they are doing. Tomorrow, by the grace of God, I'll talk to you about the definitions and explanations of altars. I hope you have been blessed and any question that you have for me, you just Send it to me or send it to Pastor Guma, forward it to me or you can leave your question here. I hope you have been blessed in Jesus' mighty, precious name.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this sermon and I know you've been blessed. For more information about Shiloh Tabernacle and other sermons, please visit our website www.shiloh.org.uk and don't forget to follow us on all our social media platforms instagram twitter and facebook at shiloh ldn once again that's at shiloh ldn you've been listening to shiloh tabernacle london changing lives building dreams until next time